Welcome back to the Tape Store. This is Toby. And this is Brooke. We were made in the 80s. And played in the 90s. And we are happy to be back. Happy to have another week of great 80s and 90s nostalgia. In this case, we definitely are... Definitely 90s. Definitely 90s. You know, the last film we talked about was Star Wars, mm-hmm. Episode One: The Phantom Menace, which was 1999. Yeah. The very, also, yeah. the very end of our beloved... 90s decade (laughs) this week we are staying in 1999 with the film the mummy yes directed by steven somers and starring brendan fraser and rachel weiss yes and a slew of other really good actors yes another another really good ensemble film Mm mm-hmm it, this this is also one of our um, this is a member of the Guild of yes. Familiarity. The Guild of for Familiarity, us. and so, if you don't know what that is, the Guild of Familiarity are movies that are, aside from what the critics would say, or maybe mm-hmm. how much money they made at the box office, these are just movies that are just fun, that usually have a lot of good memories attached to them. That we could watch anytime, anytime. regardless of occasion. Right. And there are a series of movies that are a part of that <laughs> that we have talked about in the past and will continue to talk about. Yes. And if you don't, if you if you want to know some of ours, you can uh, if you go to Instagram, if you look at the post for this show, yeah. we hashtag it, uh, the Guild of Familiarity. If you just kind of click on that hashtag, you can see because um, I'm pretty sure we're the only ones that use it. Yeah, uh, I you think can so. see our movies that we hold dear uh, so far. We've definitely not covered them all, but this is one of them. Right. The Mummy was released on May 7th, 1999, right around the time of The Phantom Menace. Oh, so we wow. Were, I didn't realize that. Yeah, probably a tough time to release a movie, but this is still a really good movie. I think I probably liked it more. Oh, I'm sure, yeah. As a, as a young person. <laughs> I mean, for me, Star Wars is a whole separate... I don't compare Star Wars movies to movies outside of the Star Wars universe. No, yeah. That's just the, something I do. They're their own category. That's just something I do. I could agree with that. But this movie kind of came out of nowhere. When I saw this movie, I was in the midst of my group of friends that all worked at the movie theater. The same group of friends that we talked a lot about (laughs) in our episode one episode. Yes. Our Star Wars episode one, Phantom Menace episode. And Jeff was a part of that group. And this movie played at the theater they all worked at, so I got to see this for free. And I thought it was good. I just thought it was a good, solid, fun movie. And I think... It's Brendan Fraser's best movie. Yeah, in my I was one hundred percent obsessed with it. Like obsessed, yes. obsessed, obsessed. This was big for me. This <laughs> this movie was a big moment. Yeah, it was really good. And although another good Brendan Fraser, I mean, yes, it's his best, but George of the Jungle was too. So you yeah, can't forget about that. I've one. not seen that. Oh, yeah. Sorry. Well, that's gonna happen. Right. I'm sure it will. <laughs> yeah, I, I've not seen that. But this this movie, I think, is his best, yes, in my sure. opinion. Yeah. But it was obviously kind of a swashbuckling action, just flat-out adventure. Really, I think it was just kind of one of those things where the cast and the material and everything just kind of worked yeah, out. Yeah, the stars really aligned with this movie, I think. I mean, if you want to be a film critic and really try to like rip this movie apart I guess you could I mean for me where I'm coming from with it is when you look at this movie and yes you like you said you took you could totally look at it and say okay it was really this or that and yes it is campy but it's also doing a nod to like the 1930s horror movies yes so it is playing to a very specific genre and it does it perfectly oh I think so so to me there's there's no complaint 
No, not 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 one here either. When it comes to the Guild of Familiarity, we take our critical hats off. Right. And just enjoy the nostalgia and enjoy just the films themselves. Totally. For what they do well. Yes. And I think this movie does a lot right. Oh, yeah. So I just don't think it's one to be criticized. No. Even for being, as you say, campy or... I, I think <laughs> it did well for exactly what you said, targeting that old-time... Swashbuckly yeah. kind of, yeah. And I think it was great. I think we so. used that word exactly in our Instagram post. We're like, this is a, swa- a swashbuckling adventure. Right. it is. That's the only word for it. So let's jump right in yes. to The Mummy. Let's talk about the opening. Yes, because that is its own beautiful thing all in of itself. Yeah, it was really, really, really well done. I mean, obviously, if you're looking at it from 1999, it's it's that 1999 CGI, mm-hmm. you know, that late 90s CGI. But at the time, that was like the best thing. Yeah, to us, it, it was like, oh my gosh, it's amazing. So. so you see this big, grandiose opening, like the camera is panning across this massive landscape of a bustling and prosperous ancient Egypt. Yes. And I thought it was imagined and executed very well. Yes. Like, that's kind of how I imagined it would look, I guess. Yeah, and I think... Or maybe maybe never imagining how it would look because I would never know how to imagine. Yeah. I thought I was like, oh, wow, okay, that makes sense. It had it had all the elements of, of a thriving city. Like, if you think of, you know, like we live in Georgia, like if you think of Atlanta... There's all these people, but there's also like construction and they're building things. Yeah. And that's exactly what's happening, except it's like the Sphinx. Like, yeah. you know, it's like these people huge are working. Yeah. So iconic s- structures we know about. Right. Like, wow. Look, there's there's kids playing. There's families. Yeah. There's, there's the slaves. There's there's people walking dogs. There's people working on the massive structures. Yeah. Everything that, you know, when you look at the history books, everything is so old that all the paint and stuff's been rubbed off. So it just looks like stone. Yeah. But. In this scene, this opening scene showing, again, it's an establishing shot. It's yeah. showing you this is where we're at. Everything's painted. And you vibrant. S- and vibrant, yes. And But what really drives it home is the music. Yes. I was saying it's coupled oh, yeah. with this great score. Yes. By Jerry Goldsmith. Sounds very grandiose. Yeah, it's just. Very ancient Egyptian. Yeah, but but it it does sound ominous. Yeah, and, and we talked about it sounded very old world. They just. Yeah. I don't know where. They get that idea that ancient Egypt, ha- you know, where they get the idea for the the um, the theme or the motif for the music, yeah, for ancient Egypt. But this just made sense. Yeah, it's it's it a just, beautiful score. Yeah, it just fit. Yeah, and and whether or not it was historically accurate, or you know, again, this is a this is a film score to a movie, right? This really works for the film, and the score really, I think makes the film yeah the score is almost like its own character because it really establishes the feelings and what you should be going through very very well so you're seeing all this bustling activity in a prosperous city and the year is 1290 bc yes a long time ago and this is the city of thebes which is the city of the living and there's a narrator Mm -hmm. who is a very important person we're going to find right and he's talking about kind of What's going on? He's giving us some exposition and some setting. And we need this this exposition and this setting because this is what everything's going to be about. Mm-hmm. This is how it all starts, right? So we have a man named Imhotep. He's Egypt's high priest, played by Arnold Voslu or Voslo. I'm not yeah, sure Vos- how to... Voslu. He's... Yeah. Okay. I looked it up on IMDb Arnold and I was like, Voslu. how do you say his name? Okay, so because he's from South Africa. Yeah, and 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 they're explaining all this very quickly. Yes, but 
as as we have to because we only have <laughs> like a couple hours. So Imhotep is involved in a love affair with a beautiful Egyptian woman named Anaxunamun. Yes, and he's the high priest, so yeah. that's important. Yeah, it's a big deal. He's high ranking in yeah. Egyptian society. And Anaxunamun, played by Patricia Velasquez, is the wife of the pharaoh. No, mistress. She's the mistress of the pharaoh. Yeah, that's what it says. He says, pharaoh's mistress. So oh. like, he may have a wife, but just no one, you know. Okay, well, it, he is the pharaoh. And the yeah. pharaoh is Seti I. Yes, and that that is important. Yes. Uh, the, the order. Now, Seti I is an actual, factual Egyptian pharaoh. Yes. We're obviously building a fictional story around him, but he was a real guy. Right. And it is said that no one could touch Anuxinamun. In fact, she had this paint on her. Yeah. That I think the purpose of it was maybe to show that like he could find out whether or not she'd been touched. Right, and it's also important to note that her costume was minimalist. We'll say that. Yeah, she's not wearing very much. She's but. not wearing a lot. She she's got some vital but things covered, a- but she's she's basically her whole body is painted so that anywhere yeah. you could tell something had happened. So right. I think it's it's obviously a mark of property yes. on her. And they are in a love affair. Imhotep and Anuxunamun. Yes. Obviously this is forbidden. And Imhotep's priests are obviously in on it because we see this scene where she walks in to, I guess, Imhotep's chamber and they have a moment and and the priests are kind of helping. They to like kinda, are trying to close the door. Right. And, yeah. But I don't know if Seti the first was, I don't know if Seti was like suspicious, but he shows up right after she does. Yeah. And sees that she's been touched. Yes, because Imhotep like grabs yeah. her arm knowing full well, well she's got paint all over. Well, know, that's probably because they had a plan, so. Well, obviously, there had to have been some kind of plan. Yes. Because by the time Seti realizes that something is afoot, he is stabbed to death by <laughs> Anuxunamun and Imhotep. Yes. And and the priests are like, they're watching kind of like they didn't know what was going on, but like maybe they're, they're also like, yeah. I mean, we're not going to get in the maybe way. Maybe they were like, maybe they were like, oh, we didn't think it was going to be this. Which, like, by the <laughs> way, I always thought it was interesting that the priests were all painted gold, like their whole bodies or painted gold. Yeah, I mean, I don't Which, know. Which, I mean, all Maybe I just, just think that's a neat choice. I'm kind of like, okay, cool. Yeah. I don't know that it means anything. So, you, you know how... fun. Yeah, but you know how when you, you, you get involved in something with someone <laughs> and you're like, oh, I, I didn't know it was going to be this. Like, this escalated quickly. <laughs> right. I, the priest kind of looked when he was being stabbed. They were kind of like, oh, well, okay, so... Yeah. This just got real. Well, right after that, here comes Seti's bodyguards. And these guys... Okay, so... Imhotep, you think, would be smart enough to get these priests that are like, Burly you know, and like savvy strong and, and like, you know, skilled in combat. They're just these guys in robes. They're like old, you well, know, but I, mean, but I mean, they're priests. I mean, they're not right. like warriors. Seti like, has hey, the, we like worship yeah. stuff. Seti you know? has these guys that are like ready to like bash some heads. Like there's this one guy in the front. That's yeah. Coming and in. he's he, like, he looks like he's like, I'm ready. Yeah. Somebody mess with me. Well, like, it's funny. So Anuxunamun and Imhotep are like. Correct. What do we do? I don't. They should have had a little more foresight, I guess. I don't if know. if this was their plan, it was not well thought out. No, like I'll say that. No, because they're kind of like, what do we do? Yeah, you know, here comes Seti's bodyguards, and Anuxinamun says, "You go, and because only you have the power to raise me from the dead." Yeah, you can resurrect me, and yeah. he is taken away by his priest. They kind of usher him off, Imhotep. Mm-hmm. And Anuxinamun turns around and says, My like, body is no longer his temple. So and maybe to lead you to believe she was never happy in her situation. So she stabs herself. Yes. Now that all happens in Thebes, the city of the living. So now we go to Hamanoptera, 
the city of the dead. So we have this dichotomy. We have yes. the city of the living. We have the city of the dead. We have Thebes and Hamanoptera, right? Yes. Imhotep attempts to resurrect an Oxenomuni, takes her body. Yeah. Somehow, I guess, he goes back and gets her body. I, you know, yeah, I don't Yeah, we're know. not sure how he gets the body. Because he, he leaves without it. I'm assuming he somehow went back and got it. He attempts to resurrect her with this ritual. Yeah. But they're stopped by Pharaoh's bodyguards again. They're like, hey, <laughs> we have not forgotten about this. Right. <laughs> so as punishment, all of Imhotep's priests, his whole entourage... They're mummified alive. Yes. Horrible. Yes. And it's bad. I mean, you know, the, they have the scene. They don't, again, this is this is like not an R-rated movie, so nothing super yeah, scary. We don't, yeah. But they, you can, you know, they're all screaming. And, yeah, a and lot's left to the imagination about how bad this is. You can tell they're being mummified Espe- alive. Yeah, especially if you know the process of mummification. Right. The organs and all the things that happen. But Imhotep suffers a much worse fate. He's mummified alive as well, but he goes through this... It's this, the curse of the home die. Yeah, that, and I've never heard of that, but apparently it's the worst punishment. Apparently, according to the narrator, yes. it was so bad it had never been done before. Right. So he's mummified alive, his tongue's cut out, and they pour these flesh-eating scarab beetles in his in his sarcophagus, which, if you don't know what a sarcophagus is, uh, it's like an Egyptian coffin, Yeah. essentially. It's yes. where they put the mummies. And they dump these scarabs in, these scarab beetles, and they are, in my opinion, the worst enemy in the movie listen uh, yeah listen. they're the worst okay listen i have a real very real fear of roaches like it's not good like i can't kill them if i see one i'm like toby you gotta get it i mean if i have to i will right but this movie activated that incredibly real fear and it's i absolutely cannot handle it it's terrible they're the worst part definitely but once once they seal them up the narrator says yeah they seal him up and by the way they have put his organs right yes in these Four canopic jars. Sacred canopic jars. Yeah, yeah very good. These, <laughs> the, these four jars, which are going to play, and, and, and we're saying this now because the, the the four canopic jars are going to play a part a big, later. It plays a big old deal. So, and the narrator says, you know, once they seal it, they're like, it should never be opened. Yes. Because he would come back as the quote unquote undead. Yes. And this undead, which is Imhotep, would unleash great and terrible desolation on the earth. So my thing is, why didn't they just kill the guy? I mean, just, they did, but yeah. But why they have to do it to to like? Well, we're gonna do this to him, but hopefully, right, right. I mean, like one, we wouldn't have a movie, but two, these you know ancient civilizations thrived on religion, religion, right. and very su- superstitious. superstitious things because you know, I mean, just different a different belief system than we have. So, and the narrator says that it was buried under the statue of Anubis, which yes. is which is a god in. In Egyptian mythology, it's yes. like this jackal. Mm-hmm. So he was the god of the dead, right? He was yes. the underworld, god of the underworld, right? I believe so, yes. Okay. He's buried, so Imhotep is buried under the Anubis. statue of Anubis in Hamanaptra, and he is to be guarded by this group, this secret society called the Medjai. Yes. Their job is to make sure nobody comes around there yeah. and possibly opens this sarcophagus. Yeah, and, and they're the descendants and, of, you know, the the really big and burly pharaoh's bodyguards that we had who seen. Imhotep should have just employed guys like that. <laughs> should have just gotten some. We would have never had a movie. <laughs> God, he had these dudes that were like, oh, um, I, I beg your pardon. Uh, I know. You know. They're all little Peabody guys. So, and then, boom, The Mummy. Yes. That's the title. It's a really, it's a really great it really is. opening sequence. I love it so much. It was much. good. Yeah. So let's jump to 
Thousands of years later, we have a big time jump. The year is 1923. At the same location, Hamanoptera, by this point, it's been buried by sand and it's just ruins. Yeah. We see a battle going on. And one of these armies is the French Foreign Legion. Yes. And fighting for the French Foreign Legion is a soldier. This is Rick O'Connell. This is Brendan Fraser. He is not French. He is American. No, but what he's doing with the French Foreign Legion, I I can only assume he... He got in with them because he was looking for treasure, and I guess he he hooked up with some French Foreign Legion guys. <laughs> they ended up being attacked by this this other band of like brigands. Yeah, they and they look like indi- they look like native to the area, like they're yeah. probably from Egypt or a surrounding area. Rick is flanked by his cowardly yet menacing because he's so cowardly. Yes, you know cowards actually can be very dangerous because they have no loyalties. Right. Benny Gabor, played by Kevin J. O'Connor. They're fighting a battle. We see in this battle that Rick is brave, skilled in combat, and he makes a valiant stand. Benny runs off. Like Like immediately. Yeah, immediately. Runs off. Bye. But Rick makes a stand, and he is cornered by these guys, and he's actually saved by the curse of the city itself. Yeah. Uh, the, the, The horses of the enemy army are scared off. Right. And then the ground begins to convulse. And, and you, you see hear this, the whispers. Yeah, and you see like this human face come out of the sand. And then Rick escapes into the desert. And he's watched by the Magi. They've been watching this all. And they're like, and and one of the Magi, the main guy, which, yes. we, which we find is the narrator. His right. name is Ardeth Bay. Mm-hmm. He's played by Oded Fair. Yes. He's one of our favorite guys in the movie. He is absolutely incredible. He says the creature remains undiscovered. So Because they're, they're, I mean, basically they're ready... And we found out later, they're ready to dispatch anyone. Yeah, they're ready to fight. May, yeah. Like, like, they'll kill them. Yeah. They're just, that's their job. If they think someone's getting close to the mummy, they're going to take them out. Absolutely. So, they're they're pretty intense, these guys. And, you know, they wear all black. They have these black horses. They have these tattoos across their face. They look super menacing yes. slash cool. But they actually are, we actually find that they actually are serving a good purpose. You're right, right, right. They just now, have a though, very, they, have a, they just have a very, very like cutthroat way of getting the job done. Right. We then jump to three years later, 1926 in Cairo, Egypt, where we meet Evelyn Carnahan, also known as Evie. Yes. Played by Rachel Weiss. My very favorite character. One of them. Now she's kind. She's ambitious, but she's very clumsy. Yes. Bless her. She's ambitious because she really really desires to get out into the field and really learn and really, really be a part of discovering and, and, and yeah, she's curious. She, she also is an adventurer. She just hasn't been given the opportunity. Hasn't been given the opportunity. And because, she, and you know, there are things that hold her back, like her being clumsy. She doesn't, I mean, granted, she's a woman in the twenties, which yes. let's be honest, you didn't have a lot of opportunities to do anything anyway. No. So, and, um, yeah, and she's working in this library, and we yeah, meet her. Yeah, the, the Museum of Antiquities. Yes, yeah. the Museum of Antiquities. And she's extremely knowledgeable. While she's putting away books on the ladder, we see how clumsy she is because she crashes into a bookshelf, which basically <laughs> leads to a domino effect with the other bookshelves, and it destroys the entire library. Yes. In walks the, I don't know if it's the museum curator, but it's definitely her boss. Right. He, he obviously oversees the museum. Dr. Terrence Bay. He's played by Eric Avari. He berates Evie, reminds her that the only reason why he keeps around is because her parents were patrons of the museum, obviously gave a lot of money to it, and not because of her genuine, extensive knowledge, which he dismisses. Yeah, he does. But Evie actually is brilliant. Yeah, she's like the only one who can, you know, she can read and write ancient Egyptian. She can recite 
what is it, the uh, hieroglyphics and heretic. And then she can, and then obviously she knows how to, you know, catalog a library. And all these things are going to be very important. Yes. And something else that is important that uh, Mr. Bay lets us in on. Yeah, while he's berating her. Yes, while he's berating her. And this is something that I would have never noticed the first hundred times I watched it. But as we were watching it this time, we noticed that even in our vernacular, we're creating a timeline Mm -hmm. of this Pharaoh's history. So every time we bring up, he brings up, her getting upset, he goes, "Ugh!" To, compared to you, the other plagues, you know, the plagues of Egypt were her joy, like were the joy of Egypt. So every time we refer to ancient Egypt, we're referring to a very specific time where the ten plagues happened, or and Seti the only the account, first. yeah, and the only count account we have of well, say the first isn't mentioned in the Bible, but I know the, no. the ten plagues are. Yes, obviously. So biblical references is actually uh, they will continually make appearances throughout the film. Yes, because. This whole movie is about a curse. Right. And looking at the Bible, seeing curses and plagues uh, from the book of Exodus, with, yeah. you know, the story of Moses, we're going to see a lot of references there. Right. So it's interesting that anytime he refers to ancient Egypt, we're reminded about the 10 plagues. So kind of our heads are in the right space for this movie. So I thought that was interesting. I never really noticed it before until this time I watched yeah, it. Yeah, I think maybe, maybe to just to maybe, because a lot of people have a general knowledge. Mm-hmm. Of the story of Moses, I would think a lot of people have a general knowledge of it, even if they're right. not, you know, people that read the Bible or or not. Or you, have you, read it, yeah. You've heard of what happened in Egypt and the cross, you know, the yes. parting of the Red Sea and all those things. We're not going to get into all that no. in this film, but the plagues of Egypt actually are essentially taken out of the Bible and used as a plot device in this film. Right. And they are, and they're associated with Emotep now because... He is part of this massive curse that right. will wreak havoc on all of Egypt. Yes, which from the from the Bible as a text, it was a plague on all of Egypt. So right. kind of they kind of marry the two. So Evie is not able to even begin cleaning up her massive mess because she is suddenly jump scared after Doctor Bay leaves. She's jump scared by her childish and also clumsy, if not clumsier, older brother Jonathan, played by John Hanna. He presents her with a peculiar artifact that he got from, quote-unquote, a dig down in Thebes. It's black metal, maybe obsidian. It's mm-hmm. like a box, and she pops it open. And it, when it pops open, all the, the sides look kind of like a— Yeah, it a, looks like a star. Yeah. And it contains a map, a map to Hamanaptra. They present this map to Dr. Bay— who dismisses it, even though Evie's like, this is from the time of Seti the First, which mm-hmm. which should bring us back to the very beginning. Like, oh, Seti the First, that was the Pharaoh at the beginning. You know, it, it just it strikes me as you're talking about this. It's possible that the reason why she's not been able to advance any further is because he knows how much she knows. Possibly. And yes. she, more than probably anybody else, would actually be able to find Hamanatra. And she's clumsy and curious enough to, well... Yeah. Right. To wake him up. Whether advertently or inadvertently, right? Yes, exactly. But he dismisses all this. Evie even brings up a curse of a mummy, a massive buried treasure, which Jonathan's really interested in. Of course. And we're immediately clued in that the 3,000-year-old artifact is from the time of Seti I, as I said, and by proxy, the time of Imhotep and Anuxanamun. Right. So it's all coming together. Dr. Bay accidentally burns part of this 3,000-year-old map, just <laughs> to how careful this guy is. Right. He's reading it near a candle, and he burns part of it off, and it just happens, ironically, to be the part that showed where the lost city was right. of Hamanapter, the city of the dead. Right. So they need a guide. Evie and Jonathan, undaunted. Here there's a man in prison in Cairo. 
who has been to Hamanaptra because they don't have the part on the map anymore. They need somebody to guide them there. Right. They meet the keeper of the prison, Gad Hassan. Who is absolutely hysterical. And obnoxious, right? Yes, he's terrible. Uh, played by actor Omid Jalili. Mm-hmm. He leads them to Rick O'Connell. We find in this moment that Jonathan, in fact, did not find this box <laughs> on a dig down in Thebes. No. He stole it from Rick, who got it when he was obviously there before he right. somehow ended yeah, up Yeah, we in don't jail. really find out how Rick got it, but, but we, we know, know that jo- he had it. Jonathan stole it from him. They ask Rick about the box in Hamanaptra, but he refuses to give further information unless they get him out of prison. He's set to be hanged. And and again, you know, they're, they're speaking on from both sides of the bars, you know. Right. Like he's in prison. They're, they're talking to him. And he's like, come here, I'll tell you. And he grabs her face and kisses her and says, get me out of here. Yeah. So Evie ends up saving Rick because, and I mean, they go through with the hanging. I mean, he's hanging. His neck doesn't break. And he's like, you know. Uh, Evie saves Rick by revealing to Gad, uh, desperately, they've got to somehow get Rick out. So she reveals to Gad that Rick knows the location of Hamanaptra and that they give him 25% of the treasure they find. So Gad stops the hanging. cut him down. Right. Now, while Evie seems on the external yes. <laughs> to think Rick is a scoundrel, and while Rick on the external seems to not really care about anything, there appears to be a mutual attraction between the two. So now we have a group of four people, Evie, Jonathan, Rick, and Gad. They leave for Hamanaptra. Yes. They head there by boat on the Nile. And on the way there, we find that they are not the only people trying to get to Hamanaptra, nope. right? There's a group of three Americans led by an Egyptologist, Dr. Alan Chamberlain. Let's <laughs> talk for a minute about this guy that plays Dr. Alan Chamberlain. Because John- we love him dearly. We love this guy. Jonathan Hyde, I think, is one of the best character actors in the business. And he was he was a big deal in the like in nineties like comedies. Yeah, I mean I, I think he could carry a movie by himself, but I've only ever seen him in really good supporting roles. He was the dad in Jumanji. Yes. He's the butler in Richie Rich. <laughs> oh god, Richie. he's so good. Richie. Yeah. Thank God you'll see. Yes. So wait, he was in something else though. What? I mean, he's been he was in Anaconda. I mean, he's been in a lot of stuff. So we get some more exposition while we're on the boat about Hamanaptra being cursed. Evie seeking to find another important artifact that she says is there, the Book of the Dead. Yes, that's very important. That seems to be what she's really, really kind of interested in. Yeah, yeah. So Rick and Evie have a conversation that gives us that kind of exposition. You know. Rick shows his massive arsenal with this super cool shotgun that he like twists. I always thought that was like one of the coolest things he did in the movie when he's talking. We're seeing that they are beginning to connect, right? Right, and they are both a very similar type of person. They're both after something, right? And are willing to do really brave yeah, things. Yeah, she's to do in it, it for the history. He's in it for the treasure. After a brief conversation with Evie, Rick finds Benny is on the boat, <laughs> God. and it turns out that he's the guide. For Dr. Chamberlain and the Americans. Yes. He, he's leading them to Hamanaptra. So we have these two groups competing. Right. O'Connell actually throws Benny overboard, which likely inadvertently saves him from what's coming because here come the Magi. Right. They ambush the boat. Why? Well, they're trying to stop them from getting to Hamanaptra. Right. Because, again, their Now, we job, don't know that yet, though. As an audience, we don't know that. We just no. think, oh, crap, who are these Well, they show baddies? up. Well, I mean, at the beginning of the film, it says that they're tasked with protecting Right. So true, the, Mag- true, true. the the Magi show up, and it's to and it's to stop them. They see the box that Evie and Jonathan have, you know. Yeah. And they refer to it as the key. So the box is no longer called the box with the with, that used to have the map in it that that got burned up. Yes. It's now the key. Rick fights off the Magi, and so do the Americans. You know, there's kind of this battle between the two groups that are trying to get to Hamanoptera and the Magi. 
And while this the- is a great scene too, as far as fighting styles, because oh yeah, we get to see our cowboy Americans yeah. in a very like gunsmoke type of uh, type of action yeah. versus these you know these ancient basically you know people that are protecting. Right. Yeah, you see the kind of the archaic and old versus the new, right? Yeah. So in the end, Rick and Jonathan and their group, and then the Americans and Dr. Chamberlain and all them, they're able to escape. The gang head to Hamanoptera by camel, closely watched by the Magi from afar. They're not done. The lead Magi, Oded Fair, again, uh, Ardeth Bay, recognizes Rick and makes the comment, this one is strong. So he sees, he's like, I remember this guy. Yeah. He's been here before, right? Everyone arrives and sets up camp, and everybody has their own idea where to start. This is where Evie shines, mm-hmm. because Evie's like, let's go She check knows out. exactly where they need to go. She knows where they need to look, and Benny only knew Benny, Benny only knew the location. When we get into the chamber, when they start to get to the dig in Hominoptera, we find that it is filled with all sorts of deadly perils. Yes. The Americans in their group attempt to open a massive chamber and finds that it's booby-trapped with salt acid. It, severely burns some of their diggers. Yes. Uh, melts them. Yeah, that's that's how, how Rick describes it. Gad, who has been a lot of fun yeah. and really entertaining, he decides <laughs> to break off from Rick's, Rick's group and begins to pocket these little gold blue beetles that are stuck on the wall. Again, right. this is Nobody's been in here in thousands of years. And prior to this, he before they even went into the, t- the, into the cave, uh, he told Rick, said, look for the bugs. I hate the bugs. Right. So... We know he hates. Yeah, bugs. well, that's and it's, it's very a little un- ironic. So it's very unfortunate how he meets it's his a little, ending. Yeah, a real flesh-eating beetle breaks out of one of these old statues, little blue. Yeah, he thought like, it was blue gold. Yeah, it just looks like a blue metal beetle. Yeah, and a real one breaks out of it and attacks him. They crawl inside your skin. Yeah, right. I, I know. Meanwhile, Evie, Rick, and Jonathan are able to make an important discovery thanks to Evie's knowledge. The sarcophagus. They find a strange sarcophagus buried under Anubis, which Evie says, okay, this is either a really important person or he did something very bad. Yeah. They use the key, the box, that we thought was just a little That's where they connected it. They're able to insert it into the sarcophagus and twist it, but before they can even open it and find out what's in it, Gad comes running in, like, acting crazy, and then he, like, runs against a wall and dies because, I mean, he's got that beetle got into his head Ugh, literally it's awful right Ugh. Ugh. The, de- the deaths of gad and the diggers kind of end the festivities for the day like all right let's just call it quits right <laughs> this isn't super cool anymore let's just do what we got to do that night the medjai arrive again and another battle ensues they fight to a draw this time yeah and this is where rick and ardith bay come face to face and the leader of the medjai gives another warning like guys get out of here you don't know what you're messing with yeah so you have they said uh you have one day Right. Like, you, we're going to give you one day to clear out of here. And, of course, and yeah. they're not taking them seriously. No. They no. just think, they just you know, they just think, look, it's just another peril of the desert or maybe a territorial thing. They just right. ride it off. That night, Evie and Rick drink because they actually, Jonathan <laughs> goes through Gad's bag after he dies and finds some Glenlivet. Yeah. And a drunk Evie reveals that she's actually half Egyptian. So this is more than just a love for history. Her mother's Egyptian. Yes, and her father was an explorer. And it's very personal to her. And she tries kissing Rick but passes out. And she's and she's just cute. And also, to be fair, silly drunk Evie is all of us. I mean, she she's just so sweet and innocent and she's yeah. so she, she's all she of wants our sp- so badly to do all these great yeah. things. She's all of our spirit animal. She is. I just love Evie so much. So the next day, Dr. Chamberlain and the Americans nobody's leaving, by the way. 
No, they're, they're like, not listening. They're, anyways, they're not <laughs> listening to these really important people that have been living there for thousands of years that know the land and they're telling them to leave. They're like, no, no. I just feel like if someone really scary looking came in with knives and horses, I, I 100% would leave I would say, would leave let's that just night. find some other place to go. I know, fun. I'm like, it's Egypt. There's other sarcophagus, right? Yeah, right. Like, yeah. The next day, Dr. Chamberlain and the Americans make an important discovery. They find this chest. Dr. Chamberlain reads the hieroglyphics that gives us tons of exposition about what, <laughs> th- this is how we find out What's going to pretty much happen to these guys? I know. Death it, will come on swift wings yes. to whomsoever opens this chest. There you go. The undead will kill all who open the chest and take their organs and fluids and regenerate and will become a walking plague. Like, guys, this is exactly what's going to happen. In other words, this is what's going to happen in the next 30 minutes. <laughs> so basically the plot of the film. Ben, Benny is scared. He's superstitious. Yeah, Benny he runs is very away. superstitious. And to our frustration, is able to escape really what we want to see happen to him in that moment. But the Americans open the chest. Dr. Chamberlain and each of the three Americans. There's four canopic jars, remember? Yep, there's four. Back to the beginning. Emotep's organs were put in four canopic jars. Well, Dr. Chamberlain and the three Americans, each these three gunsling Americans, they each take one. That's their treasure. Dr. Chamberlain also finds the Book of the Dead. Rick and the gang make their own important discovery. They use the key to open the sarcophagus from the previous day. At long last. Yep. They find a mummy inside. And by the way, I want to make make sure we say this. Yeah. The, 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 the symbol that they stick the key in on the sarcophagus is the same as what's on the Book of the Dead. Yes. That Dr. Chamberlain mm-hmm. finds. <laughs> Evie comments that the mummy is strange because it still looks like it's decomposing. like the, It pops out. Yeah. Their word of choice is juicy. Yeah. It's really gooey looking. Yeah. <laughs> yeah it's, it's not like... It, as mummies, as we've all seen them, have been dusty and dry. And, right. But this is not... They also find that there are marks inside the sarcophagus which show that the mummy was buried alive. Yes, and fingernail it, marks. It's safe to assume that this is Imhotep. Back to Dr. Chamberlain and the Americans. They find a book, as I said, clear symbol of the key that's on it. Evie no- notices it as well. So it's they, they mm-hmm. both have essentially found two very important parts of the same thing. That Yeah, that go together. Yeah. Evie sees Dr. Chamberlain with a book. and when He's he, trying to open it. Yeah, and she knows she has the key. Mm-hmm. This is Evie's big mistake. Now, she had no idea that this curse was real, but she steals the book and opens it and begins reading from it. Yeah, she says no harm ever came from reading a book, right? Yeah, and by Ew. doing so, it activates the curse. The gooey mummy of Imhotep suddenly comes to life, and then it all starts to go down. We see a massive swarm of locusts immediately attack the camp. Yes, which is one of the ten plagues. One of the ten plagues from the Bible in the book of Exodus. Yes. Chasing everyone into the chamber. Right. So it gets everyone into the chamber where, where, where Imhotep is. Right. One of the Americans encounters Imhotep who steals his eyes and his tongue. So he can't, yeah, and, and we find out later that it's thanks to the, thanks to the Magi, um, they got him before he could finish his work. Right. But so the, really but, he would have he killed him. But understand the reason why Imhotep took one of the Americans' eyes and tongue is because he has one of the jars. Yes. So whoever took the jar essentially is They're in toast. big trouble. A swarm of flesh-eating beetles then show up. Then they decide, hey, we want to join the party. (laughs) They chase the group. Evie's separated from the group in the madness, and she encounters the mummy next, who calls her a Nuxuna Moon, Mm -hmm. and is like being real sweet on her. Yeah. But Rick shows up and shoots the mummy, does nothing to it, but is enough to at least like kind of knock it down for a second. Yeah. He's uh, like, well, crap. Yeah, (laughs) it it inconveniences the mummy for a few seconds. The Magi show up again, and basically Ardeth Bay says, well... Good job, y'all. He says, now now we got to find a way to kill it, right? Yeah. The next person to encounter the mummy is Benny. So the American 
took his eyes and tongue. Yes. Evie, he calls her a nux on a moon, strange. And then Benny. And the mummy is kind of just staring Benny down because Benny didn't take one of the jars, remember? Right. But he begins praying in every language of every religion. <laughs> and this is interesting. When he begins praying in Hebrew and he begins reciting mm-hmm. the Bible. Yeah. He says the language of the slaves. Yeah. So again, we're back to the same time period that we started with with um, Dr. Bay. And again, we're using, we're using the Bible as a source. Yes. He's saying, so in, if, if we're looking at the Bible as a text, the Hebrew people, so the Jewish people, were, were slaves in yeah. Egypt. So obviously they spoke Hebrew. So he begins praying. Uh, Psalm 27, actually. Yes, Psalm 27 in Hebrew. The 27th Psalm. immediately is like, oh, okay, so you can serve me. You can serve me. And he he gives him some gold, and Benny's like, oh, my prince. Immediately. Again, this is where Benny is harmful, even though by himself he's an idiot. Yeah, Benny's ridiculous. Yeah. The group escapes and decides to go to Cairo. Rick is like, it's over. We're going home. Right. But Evie actually wants to stay and, and to say, look, I started this. I want to stop it. Yeah. So after arguing with Evie, he can't get anywhere with her. She's like, I'm staying. Mm-hmm. O'Connell goes downstairs. I guess he goes, he wants to have a drink. And he meets Winston Havelock, <laughs> played by Bernard Fox, who is a veteran World War One pilot who laments that he didn't die in the war. He's like, oh, I should have went He has survivor's down. guilt. Yeah, he has survivor's guilt. And he just wishes he would have went down in a blaze of glory with his other laddies. And he's precious. I love him. He's going to play a greater role later. We, we do love him. He's one of our favorite parts of the Yeah, he's also movie. in Titanic. So I believe yeah. that was the year before. And he plays basically the exact same character. Right. Just pre-World War One. Now, <laughs> now, Imhotep has Benny's help. So he makes it back to Cairo. And he takes the first American. Like, yeah. basically, Benny baits him in. And Imhotep comes out, and he finishes the job. He, he basically, when he he takes these guys, he essentially just sucks them dry. They yeah. look like they look like mummies by the time it's over. And he takes their flesh and their yeah. Know, he kind of like it. It puts muscles and things. back Yeah, on he's him. starting. It's per, it's yeah, pretty gross. As he takes each one, he starts to look more like human. the Imhotep from the beginning. He looks more human. Yeah, and less like a mummy. So more biblical plagues fall upon Egypt. Blood. Everything they're drinking turns into blood in the in the bar, and yeah. that's that's when Rick realized he takes a drink, and every all these guys are drinking. They suddenly start spitting their drinks out, yeah. And there's blood in the drinks, yeah. And Rick O'Connell says one of his famous lines: "He's here." Yeah. And meanwhile, Jonathan obviously has an extensive knowledge of the Bible. Yeah, he starts quoting it. He quotes chapter and verse of all every single plague. And he, and, yeah. Except the one plague they did not. Uh, feature was frogs. Yeah. I noticed that. That they, is true. They, they never showed frogs. But fire rains down in Cairo yes. not long after that. Yes. Darkness overtakes the city. After this, we find that Ardeth Bay, the leader of the Magi, and Dr. Bay, the museum supervisor, are in cahoots. You know, Dr. Bay, the one who dismissed Evie's yes. knowledge. We actually, as Brooke kind of said earlier, maybe there's a reason why he's dismissing her. Yeah. It's because he doesn't want her to find this place. He's right. actually part of the secret society. He's part of the Magi. So we find that Dr. Bay knew everything the whole time. Right. Also, it turns out Evie has been chosen by Imhotep. The reason why he's been so sweet on her is because she's going to be his human sacrifice to bring back Anaxuna Moon. Right. So he knows by seeing her, he can get back Anaxuna Moon. Yeah. Well, Rick finds Benny and interrogates him. Finds out that Imhotep wants Evie, wants the book, so he can do this ritual. Right. Imhotep, meanwhile, is on the prowl. He's looking for his jars. He's right. got the first American. He quickly finds Dr. Chamberlain because he's just defenseless. He's just this like, <laughs> he's just this Egyptologist who's just like a scholar. And he, and he has an umbrella everywhere yeah, he goes. Yeah, he has an umbrella. I mean, so he's very guys. Yeah, so he's very just like, oh. He's, you your, he's your total British like, oh, no. 
like yeah. character. At least that's how he's acting, right? Right, exactly. Now there are two remaining. By this point, they're all kind of in one group. You got Rick, you got Jonathan. Yeah, they've joined forces. You have the two Americans that are left, mm-hmm. and you have Evie. Well, I don't know why Rick decides to leave Evie with these two Americans. Because they decide. Well, no, because he's off going find Ben, going to find Benny. Ah, uh, okay. And then he well, says, "Don't you know? No one goes in, no one goes out, except, of course, one goes out to get one booze. goes out to get booze, and bourbon, like bourbon and a bourbon chaser." Yeah. So Emotep takes the third American, you know, takes his flesh and all that. Emotep makes another attempt to capture Evie, but is once again interrupted by O'Connell yes. using a cat to scare him away. Again, cats being the guardians of the underworld, the the mummy has to leave. Right. This is where they realize, again, Dr. Bay, he's like, look, we've got to get back to the museum because they're in the city right now of Cairo. Yeah. And he's like, we've got to get to the museum because we've got to find the only book that can break this curse that was started by the Book of the Dead is the Book of Amun-Ra. They've yes. got to find the second book. So there's a dichotomy here. Mm-hmm. There's Thebes, the City of the Living. There's Hamanopter, the City of the Dead. And there's the Book of the Dead. And there's the Book of Amun-Ra. So it's kind of like this. The book, and the Book of Amun-Ra is essentially the Book of Life. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So they leave the city, you know, three down, one to go. They take the last American because they got to keep this guy safe because once Emotep gets that fourth jar, he's going to be at full power. Yes. So they get to the museum and Evie is able to find the location, right? Right. She looks at that. She's basically looking at this big stone with all these hieroglyphics. And meanwhile, the zombie horde of boil covered Egyptians. Another. You know, play are screen, you know, are chanting Emotep. Yeah, with, Emotep has gotten this entranced mob of followers. Yeah, so to, it's to, bad news bears. And they're storming the museum. Right. So everyone's like, hurry up, Evie. And she's so, like, guys, like, I'm doing my best. Right. She discovers and she the said, location. So, so a side plot of all this is she has been over and over, reject her, her application to the Bembridge Scholars has been rejected over and over. And she's upset because she knows enough. She's just, for whatever reason, not making the cut. Well, here in this moment, she gets to stick it to the Benbridge College because she goes, oh, they mixed the books up. She goes, right. because they always sit. And that's why she was so certain she was going to find the Book of Amun-Ra in Hamanaptra because the Benbridge Scholars said that said it, was it was under there. Anubis. She goes, okay, they mixed them up. So if the Black Book's under Anubis, the then, Book of the Dead. Yeah, then the Book of Amun-Ra must be under the statue of Horus in Thebes. And right. so she's like, take, and so she says, you know, take that Benbridge scholars, thus proving to us that she definitely should be among them. Right. And she figures that out right as the mob's coming in. Right. So they get out of the museum and a chase ensues. And in that chase, the final canopic jar is obtained. The third American, you know, you had Dr. Chamberlain and the three Americans. Well, the third American, the fourth jar is obtained by Emotep. They basically are able to get him as they're trying to get out. And he is now fully powerful. Yep. And not only that, because Emotep has this massive mob, he's able to easily corner our heroes. Evie realizes that there's no other way to do this. She allows herself to be captured to spare the group. By this point, it's clear that Rick and Evie have feelings for each other. They they love each other. Mm -hmm. Benny takes the key to the Book of the Dead from Jonathan. So that's how they're going to open it, and and Emotep's going to do the ritual. And Emotep leaves with Evie to perform that ritual, and orders his mob to kill the gang, but Dr. Bay sacrifices himself. Very sad. Yeah. We loved him. He sacrifices himself. He charges in, starts kind of hacking but that, his guy. That was his, but that was his calling. Yeah. I mean, that's who he is. To help Rick and the gang escape. Now, they need help, Rick and them. So now we have Rick, Jonathan, and Ardeth Bay. But they've got to get from Cairo, where they are, to Thebes to get this book. Yeah, and they got to get there fast. 
So their only hope is Winston Havelock, <laughs> who agrees to use his plane to fly Rick, Ardeth, and Jonathan to Hymenaptra. It's such a funny scene when they're it's flying. Yeah. Because Jonathan is on a wing. Ardeth Bay is on the other wing. Rick is behind uh, Winston. Yeah. He's kind of flying in the in the in the passenger side, and uh, Jonathan is not no he's loving terrified, probably sick. Whatever. And Ardeth Bay has this big smile on his face. Like in, in Brooke was like, "Well, you got to think he's." I was never like, flew. "You got to think this guy is like he is an indigenous Egyptian. Yeah. Like he is a you know he rides horses. He is a man of the land, but he is up in the sky. He is probably like, oh my gosh, he loved it. Yeah. I never thought I would live to see the day." Um, but yeah, right. he, uh, Winston only agrees because he says, do you think we'll live through it? He goes, probably not. He goes, by Jove, do you really think so? Like, yeah. like I'm going to get to die. He's like, oh, and yeah. then Winston, have luck but at your service. I just love Ardeth Bay. Who's such a tough guy in this movie was like having the time of his kid. life on this airplane. I mean, he was like, it was just adorable. living his best life. Right. Amotep sees the plane and uses a massive sandstorm. Remember he's at full power mm-hmm. to bring the plane down, killing Havelock. Yeah. But it, it but he, but he was smiling. That he was smiling. Yeah, as the plane's going down, Havelock is screaming, here I come, laddies. And laughing. <laughs> yeah. Bless him. He's so precious. Here I come, laddies. <laughs> and then, you know, they, they, they're all disheveled. They're getting out of the plane, and Rick's checking on, hey, Winston. And he looks at him, and sweet Winston has passed, and he's smiling. Yeah. And, like, it's sad but sweet because it's what he wanted. Yeah. Ardeth Bay, who has been fighting with a scimitar, I believe. Yeah. Uh, uh, some kind of sword. A right? definitely and, archaic weapon. Yeah. He pulls the machine gun off the plane. Immediately. Immediately. He's like, okay, I can <laughs> I can work with this, right? Like, I think I can update now. The three enter Emotep's chamber but are found out when Jonathan blows their cover. He grabs one of those blue beetles that killed Gad. <sighs> and the same thing happens to him, but Rick... He knows now. Cuts it out of him, and they have to kill it. They sh- Rick shoots it, and Emotep hears it. So Jonathan, goofball, but also like blows Evie's their cover. like, okay, good, they're here. Yeah. So you know, hope. Well, because they thought when the plane crashed, they killed them all. Yeah. Emotep decides to awaken the mummified versions of his priest to go after the three, and these guys are like zomb. They're they're like mummy. Yeah, slash they zombies. seem really inept, they, and well, they kind of are. They move just real slow. The first wave of priests are beaten back by Ardith, Rick, and Jonathan. They're able to kind of easily kind of dispatch them. dispatch these guys. Meanwhile, Benny has left while, you know, I guess Emotep's doing the ritual. He's like, all right, you got it. <laughs> he's, meanwhile, filling bags of treasure, yes. and he's trying to... There's this underground horde of just gold and... Who knows what? Yeah, it's, it's, and he's just plunged. It's like I told Toby, it reminds me of the Cave of Wonders because yeah. it's, it looks exactly like that. And he's just filling his bags. Yeah. And Emotep has been doing the ritual the whole time and he's able to successfully awaken Anuxana Moon, but she's the mummy version of her. Right. So like she's super gross. Yeah. She's super like old and mummy looking. Right. However you want to say that. Exactly. Jonathan and Rick are able to discover the Book of Amun Ra, they're able to find it. And then a second wave of priests attack. This time, it's many more of them. Ardeth Bay, in a sacrificial move, he says, you guys, get out of here, take the book. He charges into them, allowing Rick and Jonathan to escape and crash Emotep's ritual party. (laughs) Now, keep in mind, we have Emotep, Mm -hmm. we have Evie down there, and we have a live mummy form of Anuxanamun. Because he's basically gotten to the exact same space as he got the last time he tried to resurrect her. Right. Minus the sacrifice. Rick shows up with a super cool Egyptian sword and starts hacking the priests in a very fun <laughs> sequence with great music. Yes, the music is very swashbuckling. Yeah. 
Meanwhile, Imhotep is giving chase to Jonathan, who has the book, and Anuxima Moon attacks Evie. Right. And she's so, trying to, and she's got like a little knife. She's trying to stab yeah. her. And while she's doing that, while Evie's trying to escape from Anuxima Moon, the mummy version of right. her, she's shouting directions to Jonathan on how to read the book, you know. Because <laughs> Jonathan obviously can't. Jonathan can read it. He, I mean, I think his knowledge is more functional she's, so he can get treasure. Well, but, he's telling her what the symbols are and she's telling him the words. Right. No, but I mean, He's able to read some, but he right. gets stuck on certain parts. Well, he doesn't know what he's doing because, in fact, when he reads one part of the cover of the book, yeah, he wakes up another group of enemies. Not these zombie-like mummy priests. It's these guards that are incredibly athletic. <laughs> Much more athletic <laughs> than the zombie-like priests of Emotech. I mean, they're clearing. They're, like, jumping over the wall. They're, it's bad Yeah, news. it's bad. Jonathan finally gets the inscription on the book right, though, and is able to control the guards, who he directs to kill Anuxana Moon. It suddenly starts getting, things start getting taken care of really quickly. <laughs> so right as Rick is being overtaken by these guards, because he was easily able to kill those priests, but yes. here come these athletic guards, and they're able to corner Rick, and right as they're about to kill him, Jonathan learns how to, uh, Jonathan learns the rest of the inscription. Yes. And stops them, and he controls them, and they attack Anuxana Moon and kill her. Right. Imhotep attacks Jonathan. Because, obviously, again, he is thwarted. Thwarted. This is bad. Rick is able to save Jonathan, but not before Jonathan is able to swipe the key from Imhotep. Using the key, Evie uses the Book of Amun-Ra to make Imhotep mortal. So, he's not dead, but when he goes to attack Rick, Rick stabs him and actually wounds him. Kills him. Uh, mortally wounding him, yeah. Imhotep stumbles into a pool of this dark liquid and dies, and as he expires, he says death is only the beginning. Which was also scratched into his sarcophagus by his own hand in the very beginning. And also leaves us so. room for a sequel. Yes. Which there is one in 2001 that was The Mummy Returns. Which was also good. Which not, is, not as good. No, not as good as the first Mummy, but I still definitely worthy of the first. Yeah, no, I still To, to continue it. the story. Meanwhile, Benny... <laughs> decides he could have ran off with the first bag of loot, but he decides to go back in for a second bag and activates a lever on accident that causes the entire chamber to collapse. Rick, Evie, and Jonathan barely escape. Benny is trapped yep. because, his, of, his, Rick because of his own grief. Save him. Rick actually does try to save him, but earlier in the movie, Evie said to him, you know what? Guys yep. like yep. you, what did she say she to said, him? She said, nasty little boys like yourself always get their comeuppance. And he's Always. like, yep, and he got it. Benny gets his comeuppance. He's trapped with all of the treasure that he was... Mm, that he was so desperate so for. So desperate for that he had betrayed all these people to get, and he's stuck in there, and then here comes the flesh-eating scarabs. They're like, oh, hey. What's up? Yeah. Because they know they're not going to get anything to eat for It's a, while. a very satisfying ending for Benny. Yeah, because he, you know, because has, been the, he has been such... A bad catalyst, a yeah, catalyst for bad is, things. Yeah, he the caused a lot of problems, and not just problems like you like, know, oh, like this people is a, dying. Problems. Yeah, like <laughs> Benny is responsible for a lot of horrible things happening. The group gets outside, and much to our happiness, we find that Ardeth Bay survived. When yes. he, you know, we, we thought maybe you know, if you're seeing this movie for the first time, you think, oh no, Ardeth Bay is going to die. Yeah, like he's sacri- This is him sacrificing himself. Yeah, he thanks them for defeating the creature. Wishes them well, tells them that they have earned the respect of the Magi, and right. he rides away. And we're sad. To I know, see him like ride I'm like, away. no, come back. You're so cool. He he was a great. But character. I am so gl- I'm just glad he survived. Evie and Rick share a kiss, and the group rides off. And unbeknownst to them, Benny's treasure sits on the back of their camel, 
as they ride off into the sunset. Literally, riding off yes, into the sunset. It's a perfect ending with the swashbuckly Egyptian oh, yeah. theme right behind them. It's Yeah, perfect. really. I mean, I'm telling you, I, I remember when I had like LimeWire and Napster and all that, <laughs> trying yes. to find the instrumental score to this film. Oh, I bought it the so soundtrack good. immediately. As soon as I went and saw the movie, yeah. I was like, yep, get in the soundtrack. Yeah, so all is well. Yes. And I remember after we watched this film, I said... You know, one of the uh, real um, messages I got from this film mm-hmm. was that the treasure that we seek in life is oftentimes not what we think it is at the beginning, you know? Right. Like, Evie wanted to prove herself as a scholar. Rick wanted, you know— He was looking ultimately looking for treasure. Yeah, ultimately looking for treasure at the beginning, and then, of course, when he got sprung from the, from the prison, you know, yeah. it was all for, you know, for treasure. Mm-hmm. Jonathan— you know, it was about treasure. But what I think that they found in the end was the true treasure, and that was family. Yes. I think it was for Evie and Jonathan realizing that they're all they have, you know, and Rick and Evie, of course, finding love. And I think that was really important, you know, yeah. and I think that was a, an important message to get that, you know, all that glitters isn't gold, you right. know. I think the most important things in your life are finding people you love and care about. Because those are the most invaluable things, you know. I don't mean to get all sentimental, but that's what no, I got from that. True. I thought I mean, it was sweet because the treasure they got anyway, yeah, by accident, right? But when at the end, when Jonathan says, "Well, we left, we left empty-handed again. We're we're stuck empty-handed again, right?" And what does yeah, Rick Jonathan say? missed it. He what does missing. Rick say? He, looks he said, at "I you. wouldn't say that." Yeah, he goes, "I wouldn't say that," and because they didn't, that right. Know. And the only reason they made it. Out of everyone was because they were looking out for each other. Right. And you said that. You said that's true because the only reason why they ever had anything is because they, they looked out for each other. Yeah. And, and even tried to look out for others. Yeah. Because, I mean, look. I mean, the mummy is his, he, he has his own motives and his motives were love. I mean, ultimately. But he was. Uh, but he, but he, but power, really. But he was, he was willing to do evil to. Yes. Get so that. he wasn't, he really wasn't looking out for anyone. He was still about his own motive. He was. Um, the Americans and the Egyptologists definitely for their own motives. Benny, but, absolutely. Right. Uh, Jonathan, if he didn't have Evie and Rick, would have right. been toast. But True. he did. And, you know, Ardeth's same thing. You know, he was looking out for Rick. Rick was looking out for him. They all yeah. had, they were a unit and they all survived. Yeah, and they found friendship and family and, and true love. And, 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 yeah, and like you said, they got the gold anyway. Really seeking what's most important in life. Yeah. The other things that you want will come along, you know? Absolutely. So I, I really liked that. So uh, I need to talk about my obsession with this mo- movie now that we've now that we've gone through the movie. Yeah, I need to add my my real life bits in. So Prince of Egypt came out in 1998, so yes. the year before. Right. So I'm already thoroughly obsessed yeah. with all things Egypt. The Prince of Egypt is uh, the story of the biblical, that is the actual story of the Exodus, the biblical Exodus yeah. pl- containing the ten plagues and all of that. Yeah, really well done. Yes, and and I'm sure that's on the docket. Yeah, someday. whether you're religious or not, uh, I think you can agree that no, that, it's just that, a good it, movie. It was an excellent animated work. Yeah, just so much work went into it. It's yes, good. yeah, it's just a good, good movie. I mean, regardless of where you stand faith wise. Um, so I was obsessed with it, and then the Mummy came out. And me and my little friends, we went to go see it, and we were absolutely enthralled with it, with the music, with the movie. Uh, my my best friend at the time, uh, we would we would you know go to her house and like talk about like what we would be like if we were Egyptian. Right. And she was able to procure a life size poster of Brendan Fraser 
on I, her door. And even I want that. I know. I and loved Rick, Rick O'Connell. I was so angry Rick O'Connell that she is, had it. Rick O'Connell is one of my favorite male protagonists. In he film. is a really cool character. And he was, he was, look, he was, he was fine. All right. Yeah. So she had that poster and I was very angry. I'm pretty sure I had like a tiger beat version on yeah. my wall. But uh, yeah, this movie was such a huge part of my childhood yeah. slash young adulthood. And I absolutely loved it. Good stuff. Good stuff. Okay, well, we're about ready to wrap up things yep. uh, for this week. It has been really fun. We had a blast watching it. Before we go, though, let's talk about 90s relics. We try to. We can't do it every episode. Right. It's tough. But uh, I did have a 90s relic sitting right here and didn't realize it. But this is an old from 1999. Nice. The year of The Mummy. Nice. And the year of The Phantom Menace. But in this case, in this episode, the year of the we're like on a, we're on a ninety nine streak. I like it's it. from nineteen ninety nine. It is a Nickelodeon Concept One Beetle convertible. It's like <laughs> a little matchbox car. It's cute. That's got the classic, only the classic Nickelodeon logo on it. We'll get a picture of that and put it up. Yeah, for but sure. I found this little guy on eBay, and just thought, yeah, I can't pass that up for just a few bucks. But yeah, it's it's got the slime green. Yeah, color. the outside is slime green, and the and the interior is that classic Nick orange, very much part of the '90s, very much part of our childhoods. We are Nick kids to be sure, definitely. So let's wrap things up. We have had a blast watching and reviewing and talking about the Mummy, and we will be back next week for more '80s and '90s nostalgia. Not sure what we're going to do yet. But I'm we'll sure, figure yeah, it out. We'll figure it out, <laughs> and we hope to have you there with us as we talk about it. And until that time, this is Toby. And this is Brooke. Thanks for coming by the tape store. We wish you well. Have a great week. And we'll see you next time. Bye, you guys.